Well, welcome to this edition of the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to my Patreon supporters. Our community is growing and I'm so grateful to you all for your multi-leveled support. Our newest numbers are C. Conti Cook, M. L. Bethune, E. Viadar, A. Oberlin, J. Cahalo, O. Huff, A. E. Barnes, D. Wolkeser, J. Johnson Lee, and C. Sanderlin. A big thanks to my long-term supporters, my one-time donors, and all of you who like, subscribe, and share to this podcast. Everything helps. If you would like to be a Patreon supporter, there's a link in the program notes on how to do that. I also wanted to let everyone know we have two open spots for this In Search of Sacred Origins tour in Namibia this September. They just opened up, and if you would like to participate in this once-in-a-lifetime event, there's another link in the program notes for a detailed itinerary and booking form. Presently, airfares are way down in price, and now is a good time to book your flights. So if you want to join us, it's really a good time to do so. I'm also including a link for the promotional video for a more animated description on the tour with leader Sarnia Guiton. For those of us in the Christian community, this is the second week in Passiontide. We are also in the middle of Lent in both Eastern and Western Christian traditions. It's a unique Lent this year. For many of us, the past several years have felt somewhat of a walk to Calvary, and the emptying quality of this season is quite evident. As we examine history, we also note in the changing seasons, it's striking how humanity behaves in times of transition. What I have found interesting in my exploration of the Black Madonna as an artistic genre is how this image has inspired and guided us during such times. For my long-term listeners, as well as those who have read my books or attended my lectures, you've noticed I've had several themes that I associate with the Black Madonna. One is that there is rarely an artist associated with these images. If so, it's the evangelist Luke. Another theme is that most of these images are discovered, and the timing of the discoveries are quite intriguing to me. The symbolism of these observations is quite vast, if one really ponders them, specifically that the images are discovered during certain periods of history. While I'm an admirer of all forms of religious art and depictions of the Virgin Mary, the Black Madonnas, for me, have a unique gesture that is not noticed in other forms of the artistic presentation of the Virgin Mary. In my own personal experience of the Black Madonna, there seems to be more effort involved in witnessing these works of art, meaning there is more effort in terms of how to comprehend these images and decipher what is trying to be conveyed by the spiritual world. As you've heard me say on countless times, the quote of Rudolf Steiner, that art is the method by which organs of perception are created by the spiritual world. For me, the timing of these discoveries of these images are quite profound in terms of messaging. 
For one thing, these images are discovered in particular ways. The image of the Madonna, regardless of color or ethnicity of the mother and child, is a profound and multi-layered image in meaning, particularly when it comes to the Black Madonnas. These images are stern and sober and often pictured seated on a throne with the infant standing or being held forward. The Madonna in all images of Mary is the image and symbol of the highest capacity of the human soul. In the case of the mother and child, specifically in terms of the Black Madonnas, the mother hearkens to the image of the divine Sophia or the divine feminine wisdom of God. The Christ child is the symbol of divine love. So we see the image of Mary as divine cosmic wisdom giving birth to divine love. The transformation of the cosmos is depicted in the image of the divine mother and child, and it is encapsulated as the purpose and highest potential of the human soul for us to birth the Christ child, divine love, as an agent of the transformation of the cosmos. I have chosen for this episode, of which is being posted in the midst of so many different traditions in preparation for Easter, a beautiful Madonna found in Ulla, Spain. Upon first glance, this Madonna, it's obvious she's not very dark or black, but I chose her because of her location, her narrative, and the symbolism of her gesture. Religious and artistic scholars say the image was carved in the late 1100s and that she was originally covered in silver. Carlos II El Malo of the House of Evero had it covered in silver in the 14th century as a sign of special predilection for both the house and for the adoration of the Virgin of Uya. In his will, he left written the desire of his heart to rest next to the image, and we can see this by the chest that contains his remains at the feet of Our Lady of Uya. Anyone familiar with Carlos II or Charles the Bad, as he became to be known, for very valid reasons, This entire devotion was probably done to atone for his many horrific sins, but I'll leave that story to the historians and people who want to create another made-for-TV medieval miniseries. No embellishments are needed. His story is quite jaw-dropping, but at least he contributed to this beautiful shrine. Back to the silver covering the image. As We know, if any of us has owned silver tea sets or studied chemistry, silver oxidizes and turns black, if not polished frequently. In all likelihood, medieval pilgrims witnessed a black Madonna if they frequented this shrine. For my research, if this Madonna had been touched up, as they say, we don't know. She may have been darker in her early days. Her appearance now is definitely not oxidized silver, so she was probably stripped and painted at some point. Silver is an interesting choice for covering Madonnas, as in antiquity, which was quite popular. 
Silver was seen as the earthly element of the moon and reflects birth and reproduction. Many Madonnas that were gilt in silver became known as Black Madonnas in later years as the silver became oxidized and dark. Holy Mary, the Royal of Uya, is housed in Iglesia Fortalea de Santa Maria, known in English as the Church Fortress of Santa Maria. The Church Fortress is in a historic medieval town of Uya. The entire church and complex was declared a national monument on June 26, 1936. The shrine is a monumental complex of medieval construction and is also used as a sanctuary dedicated to Santa Maria as well as being a forest. Uya is nestled in the heart of Navarre, and the town sits on a hill 815 meters high, forming a part of the Sierra de Uya. And Sierra in English means jagged mountain ranges of which Spain seems to specialize in. This Sierra forms a mountainous group together with the nearby Sierras de Aiz, Isco, and Orba. Uya is also on the historic Camino de Santiago de Compostela and is one of several sites along the Camino in this region that pilgrims are encouraged to visit. For those of you on a budget and limited time, you can walk this part of the Camino in four days and see Uya Fortis as part of your itinerary. The history of Navarre, along with Basque country, is quite interesting. There's a large Basque community in Central California, and the Basques are quite proud of the fact that they've never been conquered. I find it rather amusing that after a while, both the church and local monarchs in medieval times simply assumed this region into their fold, neglecting to inform the locals of the decision, because either the monarchs or the church simply could not get anyone to go to fight or investigate for the Inquisition. It just was too much trouble. Basque separatists are to this day wanting to challenge the Spanish government and would like to be independent. During the Arab occupation of the Iberian Peninsula from the 700s through 1492, this region of what is now Spain was never conquered by the Muslims. Because of this nature, the languages and ancient customs and religions of the area flourished until late in consideration to the rest of Europe. I read in one scholarly article that the Inquisition, which was terrorizing the rest of the Spain in the Middle Ages up through the Baroque periods, had difficulty getting priests to make the journey into the mountains. Because the pagan religious practices were still widely popular at the time, they were seen as demonic, and the priests were actually afraid. The Inquisition was a bit late to the region, but finally made sure to burn a lot of people in the early 1600s. You can visit a museum of witches in Basque country in Spain if you want more information on that. In the time of the Reformation, Catholic Spain allowed some blending of practices in Basque country, which suited the locals just fine. A practice that illustrates this is that of the Senora, 
apparently late in the 1400s through the 1700s, rural agricultural communities were suffering a man shortage. The men were either off fishing or going to the New World in search of riches. Back then as now, the Catholic Church was having trouble recruiting priests. There was a shortage. The solution in this region was to elect secular church women to run the churches, to keep them clean, ring bells at appropriate time, clean the vestments, care for the poor and the sick, keep charge of the donations, and serve as spiritual mentors to women. The senoras were not involved in ritual work, took no vows, nor were considered nuns, but did aid priests in many duties of running a parish. These women were nominated by their communities, elected, and economically supported where they served. It was actually a quite nice benefit plan. They got a house, regular income. It's kind of a nice job. And you just, as long as you had this job, you had to remain celibate. Now, in the Basque pagan tradition, there were many gods and goddesses that influenced the spiritual practices of the region. One of the most interesting one involves a cave. The cave of witches of Zugarumorti is where legend comes to life. You can go on tours to this cave and there's also a museum associated with it. Traditionally, either in fields or caves, a goat god would appear and preside over rituals or meetings of the women who were considered witches. The whole goat god thing and women performing rituals, well, you can imagine this was not viewed in a positive light by the Roman Catholic Church of the day. Of interest in this ancient tradition is the goddess Mari, a principal female deity. Her husband, Mayu, or also known as Sugar, was also an important figure. The subterranean couple seemed to have supreme ethical power as well as the power to create and destroy. It was said that when they met in the caves, in the sacred mountains, they created storms. They would meet on Friday nights, meaning the groups of women with their goat god, and the day of the rituals was observed by the cult. Now, this is interesting mainly because of the myths surrounding Uya and this particular Madonna. Uya is fascinating mainly because of how this town was founded. We see the legend referred to for the first time in the Annals of the Kingdom of Navarre, written by Father Jose Moray of the Society of Jesus, and he lived between 1684 and 1704. Father Moray tells that the place where the church and the fortress and the town of Uye are located were in the Middle Age in the Middle Ages, particularly of the 8th century, at the top of the mountain without, there wasn't anything there at the, in the middle of the 8th century. And there were only shepherds who went to this region to graze their flocks. This is how Moray tells his story. Quote, 
A lad who was herding his sheep in these places saw a dove going in and out of a hole in a rock. Moved by curiosity, he approached with the intention of scaring her away. When checking how the dove continued with its insistent fluttering, he approached and inside the hole, the shepherd found a beautiful image of the virgin and the little dove at her feet. Immediately afterward, the shepherd returned to his village, which was next to the hermitage of La Blanca. He notified everyone of his discovery, and the whole town went up to where the image, and they decided this is where they needed to live. They called the new place Uya, which is Basque, the natural language of these lands, which means dove. According to legend, this is how the Via de Uya was born. Throughout history, Uya has become a place of pilgrimage to worship the Virgin. Its streets and buildings are a fascinating mixture of religiosity and historical mysticism that has its peak every year on the Sunday following uh, San Marcos Day, which is the 25th of April. On that day, which happens between the end of April and the beginning of May, the town of Merindad makes their way on foot to Uya. The pilgrims, dressed in robes and carrying crosses as penance, leave their respective towns at dawn and go in a flow of walkers who converge at dawn to congregate before the Cruz de Saludo. And this is an area that you can see the sanctuary of Santa, Santa Maria, which is their final destination of their pilgrimage. The protocol of the ceremony dictates that the mayors of Tafaya and Uya exchange their staffs of command, as well as respective parish priests do the same with their capes. Once the pilgrims have sung the Salve Regina, they all go together in procession to the church where they pay homage to the Virgin. The festival is a unique opportunity to enjoy the incredible gastronomy of this region and also immerse oneself in the ancient practices of the locals. For me, this Madonna is symbolic of the earthy and transformative nature of the Black Madonna, as well as Lent and Passantide and our age. It's fascinating to me that a dove led a shepherd into a cave and this image was there. We are in the process of transforming all aspects of human existence currently. And the Madonna of Uye, born of the rocks and heralded by a dove, is an amazing story that reflects those themes. This is Stephanie Georgia saying thank you so much for spending your valuable time with me. And again, I'd like to thank all those who support this podcast through patronage, one-time donations, liking, subscribing, and sharing. I wish you many blessings on our collective journey of the soul.